welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Dick, for being a guest on our podcast. And I've gotten to know, I've enjoyed getting to know you. You're, um, I've met you at the gym, so we work out together, and you're a pretty fit um Older, I don't know how old you are, but you're pretty fit f- for your age, I think. 75. <laughs> 75. Yeah. And you've been coming to a Bible's discussion with me, and I've been enjoying um, your input and everything there and just your company. And then you're retired as a pharmacist, right? Exactly. Okay. From the Veterans Hospital. Oh, with a VA? I yes. didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Are you a veteran yourself? No, I wasn't a veteran myself, but... Uh, just got a job at the Veterans Hospital and stayed there for 28 years. Okay. And and then you're also a Bible teacher at your church, right? Yes. And um, is it Revelation? Is that what you're going through? Yeah, right now I'm teaching through the book of Revelations. First time I've ever taught through it in uh, our particular class, which uh, we've had this class. Actually, this particular class at the uh, church has been going on for over 50 years. Now, we've had people that were seminary professors that taught it, and then some there's some of them passed away, and some of them moved away, and then eventually it just evolved that uh, I got the class after being in the class for many years. Okay. All right. Well, as far as introduction, what else would you say as far as just, you know, who? how would you introduce yourself as you as a person? Myself as a person, I... I don't know. I just uh, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, been a believer for many years. Uh, the Lord saved me back in the seventies, uh, uh, somewhere around nineteen seventy three, seventy four. Uh, it was when I was traveling as a pharmacist. I was transferred. I was working for the venture stores and transferred up to Peoria from here in uh, St. Louis, and. Uh, was up there for about two years, but when I was up there, a couple people had uh, witnessed to me and uh, given me some literature to look over and kind of talk about. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that the Lord uh, convinced me of my sin and uh, uh, just saved my soul. So did you have any kind of religious background or knowledge I was, before? Yeah, I was uh, raised Roman Catholic okay. and went to Catholic schools for... Uh, through the eighth grade and then into a public high school. And how old were you when people were witnessing to you? I was somewhere in my early 20s. I had graduated from pharmacy school around 21, 22 years old, and then I worked a year in St. Louis, uh, then worked a year in Alton, and then traveled up to uh, Peoria. Okay. And then who was it co-workers, or who was it? We're, we're yeah, the first day I went up there, there was a co-worker, a young girl was in the pharmacy, a technician, and uh, she started witness to, witnessing to me that very first day. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I just uh, didn't think much about it, uh, just listened to her and maybe made a little fun of her about the things like that. But uh, I guess the Lord showed me as... And it wasn't just her, it was other people that I ran into. It was like the Lord was really chasing me down, I feel, that he would put people not only there, but in other places. I would go and somebody would be there with a Bible and uh, want to talk to me about uh, the Lord. It was even uh, at that particular time when I was still thinking about it, I was going to a gym up there, and I had a guy come over to me at the gym when I was lifting weights, and he says, you know, the Lord sent me over here to talk to you. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was all the time. It was just this constant, like, uh, constant barrage of the Lord giving me hints and say, look, it's time to wake up. Before that, did you know the basics of the gospel? Like, oh yeah, I knew the basics of the gospel through, uh, you know, through the Catholic Church. I had understood that Jesus died and uh, he resurrected. I mean, that was a pretty believed in the Trinity, all the uh, somewhat uh, almost all the fundamentals. Okay, and you knew why he died. It was for I, sins. Exactly. Okay, and then why why is it? Do you think that that didn't really register? 
until people were witnessing to you and talking with you about it later, like you know, and you know, like when you heard, so you kind of knew the gospel. Why? What did it take for um, you to it kind of become personal to you? I, I guess. At right now, I would understand that the way the scripture presents it is um, the Lord was going to have to open up my heart. Uh, my heart was not open to all the times that I had gone to church and everything. So it didn't have a real effect. It didn't penetrate into my heart and to my soul. So it wasn't until God really regenerated me that he opened up. Uh, I always like to talk about it as um, some people says, well, what, what exactly does the Lord do when he regenerates you, when he makes you alive, as the scripture says? And I says, well, the easiest analogy that I can give you is uh, that you might understand in a modern-day context, is that you're like a computer, and you have hardware like everybody else. But your hardware doesn't always adapt to any type of a new program coming on. So what God has to do, he needs to give you some software. And when he puts the software within you in regeneration, now you are able to communicate with him in that level. And I go, that's what opens up just like you know a particular program that you can't run if you don't have the software on a program. But when you install the software, everything works together. And this is how God works within people. He opens up their heart, like he said in uh, Acts 16 at Lydia at the well. He opened up her heart so that she would understand the things of the Word of God. So when Paul spoke to her, she did understand that. She had the software in her. So you were growing up, you heard the gospel, the basics, and so forth. Um, later, people are witnessing to you, so you're hearing the gospel again. So it's just a matter of timing, like it, God didn't open your heart at one point, and then he did at the other, is, and that's the difference? Yeah, I think that was the difference. There came a day when I was... Um, I was just hap actually remember the day I was sitting in a cafeteria and, uh, you know, I was sitting there eating my lunch and then I'm just sitting there thinking before I was going to go back to work. I was on a lunch break and uh, it was almost like the Lord spoke to me at that moment and uh, I felt like, yes, I understand. I know I'm wrong. Uh, you know, I said, I said to myself at that time, tomorrow I'm going to go out and buy a Bible. And I'm going to start reading it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I did. Next day, when I had my time off, went to a bookstore, went in, bought a really good Bible, and uh, just started reading it. Mm -hmm. And then, did since you had a Catholic background, did you get involved with the Catholic Church at that point, or no? No, I really didn't know where to go to church. That okay. was the thing. So you're there, and you feel like, what is all this thing that's going on? You're reading the Bible, and you go like, well, where am I going to go to church? Mm -hmm. And I felt like, no, I'd been in the Catholic Church, and I didn't feel like they were using the Word of God at the time to really teach, even though, as you understand later, they really do in a sense because in their worship service, they always have a reading from the uh, from one of the Gospels and one of the Epistles and maybe a reading from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So the, the information was there, but they didn't have the Bible teaching to explain it to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for some place that would explain to me when I'm reading the Scripture, what does this all mean? Mm -hmm. So... Um, just like I said before, there were always people that God would put my way. Well, what happens, I'd go to the gym and some guy would come up to me and says, hey, uh, you know, um, he says, how would you like to go to church with me? And I said, well, yeah, where do you go? So I had a friend that came up and then uh, we would go to a couple different places and uh, some of them, that it just didn't strike me right, so... I wasn't quite sure of them until there came a time, and uh, what happened is I ended up uh, getting a car wreck, and I uh, was back in like in the 70s, and then I had a foreign car, and the parts were not available because of the oil embargoes and everything going on at that time, mm -hmm. so I had to end up walking. Mm 
Well, just so happened, there was a Presbyterian church about uh, two blocks away from where I lived. So I saw a little thing out there that they were having a missionary conference, and I thought, well, that'd be interesting to go to. So I went down there, and then I started attending that church uh, for about the next year before I moved back, was transferred back to St. Louis. Okay. And then you're, you've been Presbyterian ever since? No. I oh, okay. From there, I, I came back, and it's, it's another all part of the thing of God putting people in my, in my life. So I came back, and I go to uh, come back to St. Louis, and I'm thinking, like, gee, I don't even know where to go to church here now. Mm-hmm. So um, somebody puts a little note on the doors. There's a Bible study going to be at the, uh, uh, like the complex up there. So I go up to the complex, and there's about four or five people there, and uh, they were going to have a Bible study, but they didn't really have a teacher. They were just going to discuss the Bible. Hmm. Until the second week, some guy showed up who was actually um, getting his uh, divinity degree, and somebody had invited him, and he went through the scriptures, and I was just so amazed at the time that I thought, wow, where do you go to church? And so he told me that I started going to that church, and then he helped me a lot in my progress from then on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told me about a Midwest Messianic Center that was, oh, about two blocks from my house. Mm-hmm. And he says, why don't you start coming there every Friday night? And we have these Bible studies. So I did, and I started learning really uh, progressively along those lines. Then he talked me into going to a Bible school for uh take some classes just to get orientated to him. And I did that. And then him and I, we took a Greek course together. And then he would just give me books from time to time to read. And so I had a pretty good uh, progression there. And that was a a Messianic uh, type of congregation? Yeah, it, it was a Midwest Messianic congregation out in Chesterfield. And it still exists today. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, but you're in Presbyterian Church now, right? Right. So then I ended up going to a, sometime at the times they had uh, some, it was just some uh, evangelical churches that got together. It was Bible fellowship uh, churches that were in St. Louis. And uh, I don't know, there may be about, there was South County Bible Church, Hazelwood Bible Church, a couple of those Bible churches. Some were related to him over in Illinois. And uh, I went there for, oh, several years until I listened to uh, a Baptist preacher on the radio named Holmes Moore. And he was uh, located down in Maplewood, Missouri. So I went down there with him and listened to him for a while. And I joined that church. And I was in there for about, oh, 19, 20 years and then I was listening to some more radio programs, and I liked this pe- teacher at the uh, preacher that was uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church. And I thought that was uh, something I would check into, and I did, and I kind of liked his preaching. So I went to the Presbyterian Church then, and uh, I've been there ever since. I was kind of influenced by... Um Mr. Storks at Twin... Oh, Twin Oaks, yeah. Twin Oaks. Rodney was, Storks. Yeah, he used to be on the radio. Right. And uh, he kind of opened up my eyes about from about dispensationalism at mm-hmm. the time. Like, I remember on Fridays he'd have a call-in show. Yeah. And some lady called in and asked him something, I forget what, and something about um, the rapture or something like that. Um happening before the tribulation and and he said something along the lines well that's no that's nowhere in the bible you know and it just kind of i was driving and it just kind of a um shook got my attention i thought what i mean i thought this was just everyone believed you thought everybody believed that didn't you yeah and over a period of months um i just it would be like I'd just be by myself with the Bible, and I would just kind of think, well, I think it's here, and I'd turn there, and I'd say, well, it's not really there. And then another time I would think, well, I think it's here, and I'd turn there and say, it's not really there. <laughs> and then eventually I came to like think, that's not part of the Bible, the a pre-rapture um, before a tribulation period. And, um, and I thought, I'm the only one who knows this, and i got to tell people... <laughs> 
And um, I could, I didn't get convinced a single person. Um, but now, and it was pretty distressful because I was thinking, man, people need to know. But now I kind of realize I was in a particular circle. Right. And they all b- believed it. But when you get out of that circle and you just realize the bigger world of Christendom, it's not like everyone believes this. And there's a whole lots of different viewpoints and stuff. And now it's just a little more relaxing, just thinking, well, different people have their different viewpoints and so forth. Yeah, and you really see it today when you ever look on uh, Facebook and you see all the different groups that are out there. And then uh, people infiltrate their groups and they have these little back and forth, little discussions on uh, what they believe, you know, where they're some people believe that they're a pre-trib and then a mid-trib and then a post-trib rapture and then some people get on there no there is no rapture at all and then you know you get into the premillennial versus the amillennial versus the postmillennial systems and pretty mm-hmm. soon there's a whole world of uh, understanding that you can uh, be inundated with trying to figure out what one is what mm-hmm. well something i was well, anyway, we're still kind of on church a little bit. Um, yeah. So is your church that you're in now, is it a PCA church? PCA church, yes. Okay. Um, Actually, it's uh, Rodney Storks was at this church before he went to Twin Oaks. Okay. Yeah. So that's where he was. And then when they split off, because they were going to start another, uh, another branch of it, so he went to Twin Oaks, and then they... Uh, they still left the other place there for a new pastor who came along who was George Robertson. And then George Robertson was there for probably about, uh, I don't know, about 15 years. And then I was uh, there when he was there. Okay. And then uh, then he left and he went on down to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And then he wanted to work with some inner city uh, fellowships down there. And uh, when he would get a church and get it back and establish it in the inner city would move on to another city. And I think from there he went to uh, Memphis. Okay. Hmm. Um, Well, witnessing was pretty influential in your life. Like people, it affected you. Um, Like what, um, what experience have you had like on the witnessing end now, like as far as being a witness, like, um, I guess like different people have a different style. Like I know one guy who's really, really out, you know, upfront, like handing out tracks, very loud and stuff. And then some people are not like that, um, but are more of just, you know, just making relationships and just hoping that throughout that relationship, there'll be just times to share and help the other person, uh, come to know the Lord. So, um, for you, like what's, What's your style or what's been effective or what, you know, just what do you do, I guess? My style is more like your second. Uh, okay. I've done them both. Okay. I've been out there with tracks and witnessing and in different neighborhoods and then, but I really I am more comfortable where I'm just talking to people and then just bringing up the subject of where to go to church, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, see if they actually go to church and if they do, you know, what they believe and uh, just more of a relationship type uh, understanding and talking to them about the Lord. Yeah. And you find I find a lot of people like that at the gym. You know, there are many yeah. of them there that uh, you know. Usually, in sometimes when they have people be in maybe four or five people in the sauna in there right. or something like that, and somebody will bring up the subject, and you're just talking about it, and be surprised that people are a little are much more open than you think. Right, especially when you're just sitting around sweating together. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, well. You know, you had um, some people in my church recently have been talking about like the first few chapters of Genesis, and sometimes um, you have said things that have just kind of piqued my interest and think, whoa, that's like different. Um, And um, I could ask you about all different places in the Bible concerning that, but I think like maybe I'll just ask you about Genesis, for example, um, sometimes you say, well, that's symbolic and referring to right. like the snake talking to Eve and so right. forth. So I guess 
my question would be like, how do you take like let's just say the first few chapters of Genesis, like the creation story, and then the snake talking to Eve, and um, like like when I look at it, like if you would if you just came to the Bible and you read that for the first time and you had no background knowledge or anything, you would look at it, you would think of it, oh, that's some like some kind of a myth or something like that, but. Um, your, but our understanding of the Bible is that it's inspired, that it's an authority for us, and so forth. And um, so, you know, it's not like something we just want want to discount. So anyway, I guess that's real broad, but like, how do you take things like that, um, as far as what kind of literature do you say that they are, and how do you treat it? And, understand it and so forth well a lot of that stuff i'm still learning a lot of stuff about uh the hebrew literature Uh and there's always an understanding that uh people in the western world think differently than the people in the eastern world Mm -hmm. i mean our understanding of things we think more of a linear fashion they think in uh, another fashion like when they're taught telling a story we kind of tell a story from a to z Mm-hmm. They tell a story like from A, B, C, D, and then they may repeat the story again, A, B, C, D, adding more information. And it's almost more like concentric circles. Mm-hmm. But when you get into some of their real understanding of Hebrewism or Hebraic language, uh, you'll find out that they make certain statements that they understand it much more than we do. Uh, because we're not used to the Hebraic understanding. So, for instance, when they mention heaven and earth, for us, we think of the physical heaven and a physical earth. But they may not be meaning that. There may be times when they are really talking about a physical heaven and an earth, but in other times, they're talking about the structure of their of their whole system of administrative and governmental authorities. So the heavens and the earth will be the government authorities and everything uh, situated with it. So they may talk about, uh, so like maybe if Jerusalem is destroyed, for them that may be heaven is destroyed for because heaven would be that which represents their worship and that which represents their relationship to God and their temple. So if their temple is destroyed, it's in a sense their heaven is destroyed. So that's like a lot of times you have to look at it, and you have to do a lot of research sometimes to find out if that is a particular Hebrewism that they're really talking about. So when you get to Genesis, which we were talking about there, I mean, I've read different books, and there's different understandings of how do you look at Genesis, whether it was uh, an actual six-day creation, and then it is a literal creation of the heavens and the earth, which I think probably it was because of the way that it is. But then you find some other people who read some scholarly works, and, and they look at it more of a covenantal form of talking about the relationship that God built with man in creating this world and things. So some of literature doesn't really look at it that way. But I find it easier until I really would look into it so much deeper, which I haven't, but I just take it as a literal six-day creation. But when you come to, like you said, the devil, so what, what is this? Who is this devil? Because he shows up throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about a devil there uh, tricking or pulling a scheme, and he's and devil means adversary. So he was an adversary against God, but he was considered an angel, and he is trying to destroy God's program. So he goes right after Adam, Adam and Eve as soon as they are created. Now, we don't know even know how many years that was or how many days or how soon it was before Eve Eve and Adam actually sinned. I mean, some people say it was right away, never even made it very far. Some people said it was in seven years. So you have all these theories, and there's no way you're ever going to know. All that you can go by is what it is actually said right there, that 
and that's all you need to know, is that sin had not yet come into the world, except that through Satan, but that wasn't through man, because Satan had already become a fallen angel. That's why he's there to deceive Adam and Eve. So for them, they lose the paradise. And you know, people have written books on that, Paradise Lost, Paradise Found by Milton. Yeah. And then you have other people write uh, contemporary books on trying to explain everything. But so you kind of figure, okay, the devil was there, and the devil shows up throughout trying to destroy mankind and trying to dis- destroy the seed who was Jesus that was to come from the woman. So even when you get to the New Testament, Paul is talking about the devil being there, and uh, he's fighting against, he says, not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and evil in the heavenlies and different places. But Paul also says that Satan has a short time. And then John says the same thing in the book of Revelation when he's talking about uh, Satan and his schemes. If you go to chapter 12 about the woman and the child and the fiery dragon, it says, and he's coming to destroy them and the sins of flood after them and the land swallows up the flood of the waters and the people are safe. And then it says right after that in chapter 12, verse 12, Satan has but a short time. Peter talked about Satan. He says he's like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. Paul talks about it in his uh, Corinthian letter that Satan was, uh, was an angel of light and yet that he was sent to buffet him you know, for a certain period of time. So you have these interactions from all the different writers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just something that goes on. Some people think in Ezekiel 14 and Ezekiel 28, there's references there to Satan uh, about the uh, angel, but whether he was talking about Satan or he was talking about uh, a head of a government at that right. time. But these are the things that you have there. But most of the time, we just take these things as, uh, I guess you could say, in a literal form. Except that we don't understand this demon world, or we don't understand this other world that's out there because we can't see them. Mm-hmm. And you know that Satan doesn't actually uh, directly come against everybody because he's not omnipresent. So people a lot of times will say, well, the devil made me do this. Well, probably not. Mm-hmm. Probably because the devil's not omnipresent. He may be, if he, was a doing, if he was attacking one person, he can't be attacking every person. So what it is, is we use that in a kind of a symbolic language in a sense that he's everywhere, but he's not everywhere. But what it is, is his system of sin and death is current everywhere in the world. So we have our own sinful nature to deal with. So most of the time, when we get a temptation, it's our own, it's our own doing. Mm-hmm. We put ourselves in situations. We go to places that we shouldn't go. We put ourselves as we are our own worst enemy. Right. And then we find ourselves being tempted with our own greed, lusts, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know okay. if that answered your question or not. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to tell you is, a lot of times, I uh, when I look at that and I look at Genesis, and pretty much I just try to stick within the realm that I can understand it. And if somebody came along that was uh, more scholarly and could under and explain a lot of stuff to me then maybe I would understand it more. I mean, when I go to Covenant Presbyterian Church, there are teachers that are teaching in the seminary. Mm-hmm. And I know one there that's written a book uh, on it, and he does not hold to a six-day creation. Right. Uh, right. I have his book, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> right. Are you familiar with John H. Walton from Wheaton? Uh, no. Okay. So he um, he teaches Old Testament, and he's— 
he seems to be like an expert on like uh, the contemporary types of literature that at the same time that, you know, around the time period, Genesis was being written, other nations and their neighbors, you know, they were writing things. And he says, you know, if you can kind of understand the world, the mindset of the people of that time and what and their the literature they were making about right. their creation stories and stuff, it help would help it helps us to see Genesis and kind of know what the author is trying to do and how the author is trying to um, you know show how Yahweh is a different type of God and how we as His creatures uh, have a different type of relationship with Him. And he would say, um, just like if you give an origin story of like let's say your home. You know, you can you can answer different questions, and you could talk about how the bricks were laid down and the mortar was mixed and right. everything. Or mm-hmm. you could talk about the architect when they were making the plans. Or you could talk about how when the husband and wife came in and they um, decided, you know, I'm going to do the cooking and we're going to decorate here and this we're going to use this room for this purpose or whatever. So you're kind of talking about the beginnings of a home in different ways. And us modern people, we might be wanting to ask about how the bricks were laid, whereas that may have been the furthest thing from the original recipients' minds. They might be, what's really important to them might be more like, how do we function? You know, what? who are we as humans? Um, and what role has God given us? And how does it all fit together? And so, so it's kind of, it could be like answering a different, set of questions um which which is really uh kind of um interesting the way you say that because that's true that's the way it's uh somebody telling you a story from different perspectives mm-hmm. and that's what you get and if you look at it from one perspective you would interpret it this way but if you look at it from another perspective then you interpret it a different way mm-hmm. and uh, like i said before the Western mind is not like the Eastern mind when it comes right. to these things because they look at things differently. And just like men and women sometimes look at things differently, uh, women are seem to be more relational than men, and men look at things more black and white and things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just the way the mind works on things. Right. It's just like different personalities. If you're an A personality or different personality, how you react to different things at uh, one time. Mm-hmm. So um, just kind of talking about um, yourself um, like uh, and life experiences and so forth, um, what, um, so I thought I'd ask you about like just how you're made, what's your strengths and then like as opposed to like what are your, what are your weaknesses as far as and how have you experienced that in life? What have you learned from them and so forth? Anything along those lines? that uh, A lot of times uh, you think you've seen questions like that, but I never really thought about them, like what, what my strengths really are. Um, I think I, um, a lot of times I just try to live my life according to God's standard. Uh, I don't try to put a lot of emphasis on... Uh, goals. You know, a lot of times it's just a a daily life right now. Now, it may not have always been that way because as you, like I'm 75 now. Now, I couldn't say that was my goal when I was 25 years old or my goal when you're 35 years old and then you're you're working your way and getting into uh, companies and stuff like that. But when you're retired, it's almost like you're just more relaxed, more laid back, and I think you, you just become somewhat of a different person. Mm-hmm. So I think most of the time my strengths, uh, I always think is, if I was looking for one, I would just say it's just to ex- coming over the years through Christianity and reading of the Scripture is just to accept what God has put in your, in your way and in your life daily. And never be upset about things because always look at it as, what is God really trying to show me here or teach me here? Mm-hmm. And that's with everything. So if it's a, a problem, it's still 
can be just accept it for what it is. Accept it for what it is. Right. Okay. Because a lot of times you just think like, what difference would it really make in the long scheme of your of eternity? Mm-hmm. And I go, this is just a little blip on your scale. So, you know, you just go like, you just accept it for what it is. And you go like, okay, make the most out of it and see what, uh, what God has for you. Because it may not turn out the way that you thought it was going to turn out. Might not be anything big at all, but some things, some problems that people encounter aren't things just of the day, but maybe they live with all their life. But I, I suppose that still can be something that God is using for their, you know, to shape them and grow them in some particular way. Right, because you know, you you look at people that they may have cancer, mm-hmm. yeah. and it may be a long term cancer. Mm-hmm. And it may be a lot of pain and stuff with it. I just talked to a friend of mine, and you know he's had prostate cancer, and it's bothered him for years, and now he's on pain pills, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he feels the same way. Him, uh, him, and I have talked many times about the scriptures and stuff, and he's a believer in the Lord too, and he's he's looking at it that way too. He goes, you know, he just. It's just the way that the Lord has just uh, directed his life. He just has this cancer, mm-hmm. and that uh, there's not anything he can do about it. I mean, he's going to go through whatever he has to, uh, sees his doctor, makes his appointment, see what the doctor has for him. and uh, But just looking for the day that uh, when the Lord will take him home. Yeah. And it's kind of tough for him because his wife has dementia right now, and he really can't see her. Uh, there was a period of time when he was going through COVID, and he said he never even got to see his wife for for a year. Wow. Yeah, they were in they're in a home, and he, they weren't allow him to go see her. It was over a year. Yeah. You know that was hard for him. He said really hard. Yeah. So life can be hard. Yes, and it can. it's like we don't realize it. Um, but I, I guess everyone experiences life that way, I yeah. think. Um, but sometimes we're just in a crowd of happy, chatting people, and we don't realize each one of these people probably are encountering some kind of suffering um, or something or another like that, probably. Yeah, I talked to a guy at the gym the other day, and uh, you know, he was just saying that uh, you know his girlfriend left him. And uh, he was just uh, asking me if I, uh, you know, for any advice I could give him, you know, uh, because he was he was having a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. I just basically told him, says, you know, I can't give you all the answers, but I can tell you one thing. Don't quit coming to the gym. Mm-hmm. Just keep coming to the gym because you'll find that because uh, he likes to work out. I says, you'll find that is your resting place for a period of time every day when you can come to the gym mm-hmm. and you can work out because your mind will be off that. And you can, you're, and he I said, you'll need that because it'll relieve the stress that you're going to have, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about it. So, yeah. Hmm. So some of those things like that uh, always work out. I remember uh, when I was working as a pharmacist and I had a f- friend that was uh, working there and he was having some problems with depression and he had gone to a doctor, and the doctor told him, he says, he, he gave him one of the simple little formulas that he wanted him to do every day. He says, I want you to get a grapefruit. And every day, he says, I want you to cut the grapefruit and take all the peeling off the grapefruit. He says, well, wh- why would I do that? He says, because I want you to concentrate on doing something like that to give your mind a rest. Hmm. Right. I mean, it was something really simple. But, I mean, little things like that in your daily life, you know, when you're undergoing a lot of these uh, traumas or a lot of these situations, little things like that can help you. Right. Well, is there anything as far as, like, a weakness that you, you know, in your personality or so that you have to deal with that's been helpful, I don't know, that you want to share about or just about how you've dealt with it or so forth? Um, weaknesses probably in the past, uh, I guess, um, a lot of times I was a little bit shy about coming out and meeting people and witnessing the people, mm-hmm. but then as you get, uh, I guess, I don't know what changes in your life. Maybe as you get older, you go, what am I worried about that for? Mm-hmm. You know, and you think like, no, you just go up to them, just start talking to people, meet people. Right. I mean, 
be surprised that people are just as friendly and want somebody to come and talk to them. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, I saw like just the other day, I saw this lady, you know, uh, an elderly lady, probably older than I am. She's at the gym, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, I like to smile at everybody. So I'm, I just, uh, smiled at the lady and then I can tell that she probably doesn't have anybody to talk to. Mm -hmm. So I just went over and started talking to her. She told me that her husband had died and, mm -hmm. you know, and she's just all alone now. So we just sat there and, and just stood there by the machine and talked for about a half hour. Mm -hmm. It's just somebody I met now. And, you know, now I know her name. She knows my name. Mm -hmm. So now you have a name that you can put to somebody. Right. And now when I go to the gym, a lot of times I like to meet some new face or get a new name, at least uh, every time or every other time I'm there. I have a hard time with names. Um, sometimes um, someone will walk into the sauna, and I'll just kind of try to start a conversation with them, and I'll ask them, you know, about, you know, wh what they do for a living or this or that, and they'll start telling me, and then I realize, oh, I've I've talked with this person before, and I've asked them these same questions, <laughs> and then sometimes someone will come in, don't know my name, I think, I must have talked with them before, but I have no idea who he is. Yeah. But, so uh, sometimes what I do for that is because you do, when you get older, you forget names. So when I get a new name, I try to, when I go, when I leave there, I write the name down. Yeah. I go, okay. that's a person's name. Mm -hmm. And I try to get a picture of them, you know, and say, okay, that was so-and-so. Okay. But then there are times you still forget the names later on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, you've mentioned the gym. I was going to ask you about any particular routines that, you have in your life that's been helpful um anything else besides working out uh, i do a lot of bible studies so okay. like as i'm teaching the book of revelation so i spend a lot of time reading okay. uh, and what i do when i read or when i want it the heart it's not so hard reading it is taking the reading that you're doing and developing those into thoughts to put them down onto a paper to teach it to somebody else and I go, that's what takes a lot of time yeah. is you trying to, you're trying to put this into a readable format for people because I type out all my notes. Mm -hmm. So a lot, every week I have about four or five pages of notes that mm -hmm. I need to type out for the Sunday school class because hmm. okay. it's going to take about 50 to 55 minutes to teach it. Okay. So yeah. developing, putting all that down, and that wasn't always easy to do. I can probably talk it easier than I can, and which most people can. They can talk it easier than they can to put it down on a piece of paper, write it out, and then make it look like uh, somebody else can read it. Right. But if you can do that, that helps prepare you, I it imagine, sure does, yeah. for the talking part. And then uh, what I want to do is I want to read. Uh, so I read maybe I got about 10, 10 books that I use as references for the book of Revelation. And they're all from a different point of view. So I look at all of them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to uh, decipher this. And because I have my own understanding of what I think the book of Revelation is trying to uh, teach and mm -hmm. what time it was written, and the development of the whole time period of everything. So then I'm looking at everything and, and comparing them and then putting it down. If I take a good part out of this book or a good part out of that book and then mm -hmm. put it all yeah. together. And that takes a lot of time. So I'm probably in Bible study uh, during the week, uh, maybe sometime 15 hours to write all this down. Okay. Yeah, that's quite a bit of time. Yeah. So, um, okay, so the PCA Church um, recently came out with a statement um, concerning people who have, like, same-sex attraction, but, um, like, and I think the statement was trying to distinguish, is that a problem, or is it only a problem if they... Um, go forward with that into some kind of relationship or lust or something like that. 
And are you familiar with the statement that's been I remember their statement, and it, they got a big paper on it. Okay. And it had to do, I, I know our church went through a big thing. How much are we going to cover this? How are we going to, uh, you know, teach the people? Because it's going to be an issue that's going to come up at their general assemblies. Okay. And then the pastors are going to go there, and everybody is going to be confronted with it. How do you feel about this? How does your church feel about it? Do you believe what, uh, are you going to agree with uh, some of the other PCAs or what they do? So they have a general assembly, which they want everybody to get together, and they would try to get everybody on board to the same thing. So they discuss these things. Okay. And then they write big papers on them. Um, I just read a, a small part of it uh, because I didn't want to get into all the different avenues and politics that was going to be involved in it. Okay. Um, but I think you were right about that. It's like, what are you going to do if you, because I think there was a pastor is, that brought it up that he said he had this same-sex attraction, mm-hmm. and he was a pastor in the church. Right. So they wanted to know, well, how do you, how are we going to look at that? Right. You know, is uh, as long as he does not act upon right. the whole attraction and everything, and he goes outside the bounds of what the PCA would count uh, as uh, a balanced view of it. Okay. So it seems like the PC, PCA statement is kind of like saying, well, the attraction itself is a problem. And then I've heard, I haven't read it, but I've heard about this statement called the Nashville statement or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Nashville statement, right. And it seems to be, from what I hear about it, so I'm not man, I'm totally uninformed on these since I haven't even read them, but, um, or the Nashville statement, but it seems to be more on the other side saying, no, it's a... Lust is a problem. Um, of course, you know, any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage is a problem. But just, you know, having that um, difference in like a same-sex attraction, it can be, a, you could say it's attributed to the fall or attributed to something like that. But it's not like that in itself. It's not, you know, what we're talking about when we're talking about sin. So do you... Um, I don't know. You said you just read a small part of it, so it might not be something for us to talk about if we're not very informed with it. But I was just was going to bring it up in case you had thoughts or no. I didn't really ever have uh, any thoughts because I figure I'm not uh, not qualified to really uh, carry on a a big discussion of it. Okay. I mean, I have my own views about uh, you know as far as the essentials of what marriage is. You know, yeah. a man and a woman, mm-hmm. but uh, I couldn't really talk to a person. I would never understand where the person has the same sex attraction. So I couldn't really. You would have to really talk to that person and said, you know, how long has it been? I mean, how is that part of the of the makeup of a person? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's more prevalent today than it. You know, when I was growing up a kid, you never even heard of that. Right. Uh, well, it's kind of more accepted today. So. It's more accepted today, and maybe that's why nobody ever talked about it. I mean, there uh, were people you know were, back in those days, were homosexual. Uh, even when I was a kid, a teenager, there was one person in town, and everybody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, just happened to be a piano teacher. Okay. So, I mean, uh, people were aware of it, but... That was only one person that you ever knew. Right. And then I remember um, when I started uh, working in uh, pharmacy, and then I would have people that would come up, and they would be partners back in the uh, in the 80s. Okay. And that was uh, somewhat still unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wasn't so much maybe because it was in St. Louis, you know, they were, and it was well known. But uh, it was almost a... You never did shun the people. I mean, they were just nice people. You'd talk to them and everything. Yeah. But they just had that attraction for one another. So right. never really thought about it much. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about um, trying to, um, like, your method for life now, it's not so much like goals and ambition and trying to achieve this or that, but it's just kind of considering God's standard and trying to live according to that. Right. So... Um, is that um, 
do you have a procedure, a method for doing that? Um, like, is it just a matter of like just reading and just it being important to you? Like, you know, and just thinking about considering your own life and how it's lining up with what you're reading in scripture or, um, you know, how do you move in your life toward that where you're, that's where you're pursuing God's standard, so to speak? Or is it more casual than that where it's just like, well, it just kind of comes naturally? Yeah, I think it is. I think after a lot of years of being in Christianity and a lot of years of, uh, uh, of studying, a lot of years of teaching, you get to a point that uh, the word, it's almost like Luther said, my mind is held conscience to the, to the word of God or my con is held, is bound to the Word of God, really. So what it is, it's, it's just that it permeates your whole life. And it, it's always on your mind, you know, uh, your relationship with God. So it's, it's a lot of times it's, it's, it's a relationship. It's just not reading. Okay. It is uh, feeling the presence of God, feeling the presence of the Spirit all the time, you know, what you're doing. Uh, even when you're driving down the road. You're thinking, you know, like, uh, obey the laws of the speed limits. Uh, don't try to get into uh, areas that uh, road rage and all these other things, you know, just always be kind to people. Sometimes you see it on, you just let people go ahead. Don't worry about, uh, have to be there at a certain thing. Get anxious. And and that's where a lot of people, you know, you, you see the way that they drive, but Try to be a calmer, more relaxed in everything you do. Even when you're at the gym, you know, try to be kind to people. Uh, try to be uh, always let, you know, somebody wants to use something there, and maybe you're trying to do supersets or doing two things at one time. Somebody wants to use it, let them go ahead. Mm -hmm. You're not, I'm, I mean, maybe because I'm retired, I don't have to worry about time. I'd say, yeah, go ahead, use it. Right. I'll just wait till you're done and then go back right. over there. Right. So, but uh, but you're just trying to learn to be kind to people. I think that's what it is. And I think that comes from one of the biggest values for people is to have respect for other people. Yeah. And because uh, you don't even know what they're going through. But just if you're respectful to people and then along with that would come kindness. Right. And I think that's where a lot of times we see that people aren't really respectful today. I mean, you look at it uh, in your government, Democrats, Republicans, uh, things like that, that the respect is gone, is gone from people. If they're not of your same right. opinions, I right. mean, people are just, they get mean and brutal to one another because right. they don't respect the other person. They don't respect their opinions and stuff. Right. Yeah, and um, so I, I'm not into politics and never been a whole lot, but I, I hear that, you know, back in like 70s, 80s, I guess, polit the po political atmosphere was a lot different when it comes to like the two sides of the aisle right. and just the way people work together and so right. forth. But, and they don't want to work together anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a total opposition to even try to work together. Like we have our agenda, you have yours, but everything is being pushed forward to getting votes, right? And not for the good of uh, the country, right? It almost feels like a, a battle atmosphere. Yeah. Okay, so here's just something I was kind of um, wrap up here. Before, I mean, uh, bring up before we wrap up is a particular verse that's been on my mind, and just to get your thoughts about it, and it's the last verse of Romans chapter twelve. And I think about this quite a bit. It's, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And um, so I was just wondering if there's any, if you, in, in your own experience, have you um, had to kind of work through that? And um, I guess in my experience, um, um, you know, you can't, what what I think of like that when I think of being overcome by evil, I think of like something bad coming toward me, maybe from another person or something, and it affects me in a way I don't want it to affect me. Like if I get, I might get bitter, I might retaliate, I might whatever, um, and then that to me is like, well, that's not 
that's not victory, that's being overcome by evil, like it's done something to me that I don't want it to do. Um, whereas to be an overcomer would be to be like Jesus, to reply, to respond back with love and forgiveness and so forth. And But the thing is, um, it's not like I can... I have control of my heart just to make it do what it's supposed to do. <laughs> so um, my thoughts lately were, well, what's going to make my heart act right? And um, especially when it comes to like, there's some kind of evil coming my way, but I want to be an overcomer. And I, th- my thoughts are, the answer is like, only God's love and grace can really soften my heart, give me the humility, um, make the change so that, um, you know, if, if that can't do it, there, you know, there's nothing else, there are no other, no other answers that I can think of, you know. So, but how, how, do, what does that look like as far as um, taking God's love, His grace that has the potential to really soften me, humble me, um, make me an overcomer in the face of evil, um, how um, to really embrace that and make it do the work it needs to on my heart? I guess that's my question. If you have, just through your experience or anything along those lines, um, thoughts about you know, um, how that, how to get that to happen, if you understand my question. <laughs> yeah, I understand your question. Okay. And what it is, is a lot of times when God saves you and he brings you into his family, you're, you're in there as a beginner. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like on, your, on a football team, in a sense. I'll put it that way as an illustration. But when you get on a football team and you're new, you're a rookie. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how to always be in the battle and how to become an overcomer. And the word overcomer there is the same word that we use, that Nike uses. It's from that word in the Greek, Nikeo, and it has to do with overcoming all the time. Mm-hmm. So what it is, is God, it's how does a person that's a rookie learn how to go through the different uh, aspects of a game and to overcome the battle all the time. Same way if a person's in the service or in a war. So what it is, it's through a period of uh, battles that you fight. It's through a period of games that you play in the, we'll say, in the football games. You're, You're not really that experienced in the beginning, but they always say like a rookie is not a rookie at the end of the year if he's played every game. Because he's gone through 12 to 17 games, and he's no longer rookie because he's had that experience. Well, I think the way that's the way God works in everyone's life. In the beginning, you've probably had trials, and he put you through trials. That's what he says. Through much tribulation, we will enter into the kingdom. So he brings tribulations to you. Tribulation, it says, works patience in Romans also, which was in Romans 5. And then patience, experience, experience, hope. So it's God is telling us that I'm going to put you through trials. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you through these little events. You're going to play these different games. And he says, on the other side, you're going to learn as you go through them, and it's going to become easier for you. Hmm. So okay. in my own life, what I experienced as I had trials, you know, even back when I was a child, you know, going through grade school, different things. I was small, people pick on you and stuff like that. So you start to learn. I mean, uh, your brain picks up on these things and you learn how to do these things. It's almost like a uh, muscle memory, only you can put it into there of a spiritual understanding of things. So you learn these things as you go along, different areas that everybody's gone through in their whole life. And then when you get later on, well, uh, you find out these things of where you work. There's been experiences that you've gone through. And God is really just working these experiences with you all the time to develop you into the character. Because in Romans 8, which you read that 
verse out of Romans 12, but in Romans 5, it says tribulation works patience, patience experience. Then in Romans mm-hmm. 8, he, it's, what does he say? He says he is working in us to conform us to the image of his son. So that means he is continually the work through your life. Well, I found that out that through my whole life, if I look back and I had so many experiences, you know, that were adversely affecting me, mm-hmm. that you were just developing, God was developing something in you. Well, uh, it wasn't too long ago here, I was married for 43 years and God took me through a divorce. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I mean, that is something. So how you ask yourself when it comes up, how are you going to respond to this? Mm-hmm. You know, 43 years, so you're going to like, so how, is it, how are you going to let this affect you? I mean, that's the first thing I say. Okay, so, I, you know, you have to have a lot of conversations with God. Okay, God, I know I understand, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. This is going to happen. So how am I going to react to this? Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, are you going to be, are you going to continue to be kind, considerate? You're going to let this thing go and do it in the most Christian type way that you can. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was. I mean, you had to think of that, that this is one of, going to be, they say, some of the worst things that you're going to go through. Well, it just so happens that this time that was going on is the same time that my dad died hmm. and. Uh, my mom had dementia, and she was probably going to die. So you're going through death of both parents, and mm-hmm. then you're going through divorce at the same time. Hmm. And so you're trying to uh, put yourself in a situation where you're just totally relying upon God's grace mm-hmm. and say, okay, we can do, I mean, if I rely upon you, I know I, you're, I'm going to get through this. And hopefully in the most gracious and kind manner that I can. And so those are the things that I think, uh, to me, that's what God had prepared me to come to that area of, or that time in my life. And uh, I think he prepared me well enough that I got through it fine. Okay. So, and then there is a time where you kind of come out through the other side, like, um, were you, was there a lot in your marriage leading up to the divorce that was like you were kind of battling with this too, or was it everything was good and then it was kind of like no, it was a thing that was leading up to it over a long period of okay. time. So it wasn't anything that uh, took me by surprise. Okay. Uh, it was something that God was already that through situations, relationship areas, and stuff like that that. Uh, you know, you were had developed some type of uh, understanding of things, and so it was easier to take. Okay. I would find it hard for people where it's just... Out know, of the blue. Just out of the blue. They don't have any idea that what's coming and just hits, right. them, hits them right in the face like a, a major crash. <laughs> right. So trusting in the Lord, lots of conversations with God. Yes. And trying to... Go through it as graciously as you can. Yeah, and and really, you need to talk it out with yourself and and God. In in that, I didn't really go to too many people. A lot of people they go to somebody to talk to. I mm-hmm. uh, always felt like you know I could just talk to God one on one and just uh, Him work work with me and use the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing enough scriptures and stuff, and even looking up and say, okay, what are what can I look up here for uh, this situation and see how somebody else has gone through it mm-hmm. and uh, trying to develop, a, I guess, a good uh, spiritual view of it and uh, mm-hmm. see how God is just trying to speak to you through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, well, what about the future? Um, what do you see... Um Anything in particular about like what you want to be doing in your life between, you know, just for the next ten years or so, like, um, or the rest of your life, like what, um, any kind of passions or um, anything like that, or just I don't know. I don't know. My big passion has always been uh, probably the Word of God. Okay. Uh, so I like to teach. Yeah. And I've been teaching for a lot of years, so yeah. I find that to be uh, uh, up, actually one of my passions. Yeah. 
So I have taught through so many books of the New Testament, and then uh, right now, my pa- we've been in the book, I've been teaching the book of Revelation, we're halfway through, and it's taken us a year to get there. Yeah. So uh, I figure it's going to take another year before we actually finish it. But I had never taught through the book before, only read the book before, never did much study on it, and so learning so much now and going through it that it's uh, it's it's really been a pleasure. Uh, sometimes yeah. it's hard. I mean, you got to give up your you're really giving up a lot of time every week, week in, week out, mm-hmm. and so I mean, it has to be a commitment. Mm-hmm. So I think. Uh, that's what I'm committed to right now. And hopefully I just keep on doing that for the next 10 years. And mm-hmm. uh, I like going to the gym. And I think that's important at my age, too, because I think it keeps me healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things there. Uh, keeps your mind fresh. It, it gives you a relaxation. Uh, it also gives me time for uh, relationships with other people mm-hmm. uh, yeah. when you're meeting them there. I mean, it's it's putting people in your life, mm-hmm. and you can respond to them, and you can meet new people, and and I really think that's important. Mm-hmm. So you're not uh, being divorced now that you're you know you're living a lot of times. You're I live alone, mm-hmm. so you know rather than being alone all the time, and so you're doing that. So I have uh, with you. We have a group on Monday night. We meet mm-hmm. together. I meet together on Sunday with people. I have another. Bible study group that I meet on Saturday night. We've been doing that for about four or five years. Hmm. We met all through COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have those groups. Uh, That's really good. Yeah, at the gym, I don't meet people out on the floor so much because I'm just, I'm probably overly um, kind of like I don't want to interrupt people, but yeah. I think I, I'm too much on that. Like in the sauna, you're just sitting there anyway. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I really enjoy that time. Yeah, and you, know. you do. And you meet people and you get yeah. these relationships. And then, right. you know, sometimes you see them again in there. And then all of a sudden, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Dick. I appreciate okay. the conversation. It's been good. Okay.